Hi, good afternoon. Thank you, Nicolas. Thank you, Capitaling. Thank you, Olga. It's a great pleasure to be back. Um, what a fantastic panel we've got here. Um, we will talk about how they're not alternative financiers in a minute, and that's how we will start. So they've got a lot of interesting things to say today. Uh, but before we do so, would you like to introduce yourselves, say a little bit about your titles, and an interesting thing about yourselves, maybe not shipping related. All right. It was an ambush. We haven't practiced this. So. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, thank you, Dora. Uh, my name is Elias Akeles. I'm the CIO of uh, Bo Borealis Maritime and CEO of Australis Maritime. And I'm obsessed with tennis. <clears throat> Um, hello everyone, my name is Omar Donnerstein, I'm a co-PM at the uh, Entrust Global Blue Ocean Funds. I really cannot think of anything interesting to say about myself, I'm really sorry. Um, I w <laughs> I'm going to pass. Okay, my, my, my name is Martin Hooker, I'm running Meerbaum Capital Solutions. What we do is uh, we help people buying vessels by providing them with the money they need for that at the speed needed in S&P. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is uh, Harris Antonio. I'm the founder and managing director of uh, Neptune Maritime Leasing. And we do exactly what the name of the company says. We provide leasing solutions for shipping companies. Thank you. Thank you very much. So the, the title of the session was Alternative Finance. What is the value proposition? Um, and I think what uh, the panel will be trying to show in a minute is that very much the focus now uh, for, for the gentlemen here and for their institutions is the value proposition rather than, you know, trying to convince everybody that you're alternative. I, th I think they have become mainstream. I think they are all slightly different animals, uh, different animals to the main mainstream banks around Europe and the world. Um, but it's all about the value, it's all about the good deals, it's all about what they see in those deals. So we thought we would spend uh, most of our time discussing exactly that. And perhaps we can start by talking about what you guys think is, you know, makes you different, uh, makes your proposition different to the one offered by the mainstream banks. Elias, whichever way, it doesn't matter, Elias. First is better. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, look, the um, the main value proposition that I'm sure uh, we're all going to talk about is uh, flexibility and speed of execution. Uh, what I would say, ge generally speaking, is because the business model is centered on the fact that these are non-regulated entities, uh, we basically we and I'm sure everybody else on this on this panel consider it. Um, uh, their strategy to go where typical banks don't go. So whether that means uh, going after or trying to do business with smaller owners, whether it means uh, financing older vessels perhaps, maybe it means going to regions that banks do not, are not active. Um, all of the above, all of the above are certainly and, and definitely in uh, segments that banks do not uh, operate in. Uh, so that's what we would say. So first of all, again, thank you for having us today. It uh, feels like a reunion. We've been doing it for so many years, but I think it tells you something that alternative finance and funds are here to stay. Uh, you know, four or five years ago when 
I was doing those panels, everyone looked at us and said, how can you survive or how can you run a business charging um, you know, a high interest rate? And, uh, and I think it was our job to convince the audience that there is a place uh, for, uh, for this type of business. And, and you know, here we are. Um, and I think this is kind of something that the, the market has got used to, uh, you know, given the advantage that it, um, it provides. Now, I think you know, all, all four of us, uh, as Ilias mentioned, you know, we're all here because, um, because of banking dislocation, banking retrenching from uh, lending to shipping companies. The market has you know, materially changed over the last uh, 10, 15 years. Uh, but I think what's interesting, and maybe the, the, maybe that could be the theme of this uh, of this panel, is how different we are from each other, uh, because if each of us take a different approach to uh, you know to this business, and I think as, as an audience, it's important that that the audience understands and appreciates how um, each of those people that are sitting here can add value to your uh, organization. So I, I will speak, you know, obviously about Entrust. Um, you know, we set up the the Blue Ocean Fund uh, late uh, 2015. Um, from, you know, from the first days we knew that we wanted to um, uh, create not really a lending platform but maritime investment platform because we felt that is, it is important for us to be counter-cyclical not only on the, on the sectors, uh, which is you know, obviously important in shipping, but also on products, meaning that there'll be times that uh, equity may be more attractive on a risk-adjusted return than, than credit and you know, we'll shift our book um, uh, that way, and and indeed the you know the mandate, uh, our mandate uh, kind of stretches out from senior secured uh, mm -hmm. loans to um, to common equity, and you know we as a ship owner uh, have uh, more than 100 ships that we own, and really everything in between, uh, whether it's Sally's back, mezzanine, juniors, uh, and name it. Really, what you know, whatever fits the the, the specific opportunity. Uh, that approach, again, being wide on sectors as well as products, has allowed us to, you know, to grow the business. Uh, we've raised close to, or just over four billion um, since inception. Last uh, three years, 21, 22, 23, we've deployed um, on average a billion dollar every year. So, you know, that's we've been very busy. Most of what we do is here in Greece, um, and you know, Greece has always been a focus uh, uh, for us. Uh, some of our growth has been organically. Uh, other part, uh, you know, as some of you may know, we acquired uh, the, the mass capital uh, platform from ABN Emro two years ago. Uh, we recently signed an SPA to acquire a similar platform in Oslo, which we'll uh, likely disclose next week. Uh, but you know, we feel that kind of the, the, the most efficient way to do this business is to uh, acquire assets and, uh, and talented individuals that have. Uh, market expertise have a strong foothold foot in the uh, region that they're operating, and that ultimately that's the uh, best way we can feel about growing the book. Okay, going going back a while, when we started this in alternative finance, uh, which was for for Mirbaum in 2016, we thought, okay, a number of big banks have pulled out, a number of small banks and knowledgeable banks have pulled out. Uh, we are plucking the gap. Uh, until the new banks there that will then fill this gap again. So maybe it's a couple of years, maybe it's 10 years, but what uh, has happened in the, in, the, in the last years is that this gap has actually widened from um, originally having too little money available and too little traditional bank money available to now having I, banks being 
slow, banks being very regulated, banks having restrictions, and um, also lots of bureaucratic burden on them, uh, which makes it for them very difficult to keep up with the pace that the industry has. So um, for my firm at least, it is we bring people in contact with our clients that understand the industry, that have been in shipping, most of them sitting on both sides of the fence with uh, the client uh, as a ship owner and uh, in a bank or another financial institution, so they understand what the needs are. And um, they are also having the, the responsiveness and the ability to act in the time frame that is needed. So what we normally do, we nurture relationships, and then a guy comes to us and says, there is a vessel sold by Japanese, the first bit has dropped out, I have the opportunity to jump, but I need to be there now. Um, can you finance that? And in the old days, when you were calling Deutsche Schiffsbank, Klaus Pieper or Ben Lager, they would say, yes, 65% I give you, or 70 or 60, depending on what you thought of the client. And when you call a banker now, he will probably say, yes, I have to talk to my risk management, I have to talk to my committee, I think I'll get it done, but can you send me some paperwork first? And uh, what we do is we say, okay, you send me the paperwork now, you get an indication what we can do by the evening, and if we agree tomorrow, you have an approved term sheet on Monday. And that means the client can go out, commit to the vessel, subject two days BOD, and can actually buy the vessel and have the money there at the moment he needs it, and have the certainty that finance will be there with a binding term sheet before he lifts subjects. So this is a different kind of gap than the original one that we thought where there's only money needed, it is a, a speed and a responsiveness gap that all of us here in, in alternative finance try to, to pluck. And then later on the client goes to a traditional bank, takes us out, we're all fine with that. Well, I'm glad that uh, we all seem to agree on a number of issues. And uh, we go far too uh, way back um, to uh, to care to remember, really. But um, and uh, but I couldn't help uh, myself feeling a, a bit proud when I heard Omer that he bought Mass Capital from AB Namro because I was instrumental in putting it together about 20 years ago. So it it showed actually that it was it was a good decision, and it was a decision that was based on the fact that financing is not just banking; it's more than that. Uh, we continue down the path. Actually, there's one city in the world uh, that has not been very favorable to shipping, and that is Basel. And, um, and it's a nice city, but for the rest, it's, it's made lives of uh, bankers more difficult. And we saw that. I, I remember about, you know, again, 20 years ago when I was talking about Basel 2 and Basel 3 and Basel 3.5 and, and then Basel 4. So the higher up we go uh, with a, a count, the more difficult uh, it gets, it seems. That's why we decided three and a half years ago uh, to venture into the world of uh, leasing. And, and we saw, and that's just what we do. We don't do uh, lending, uh, pure lending. 
we do not uh, own a vessel outright, vessels outright, uh, and hence our offering is very clear uh, and not in competition with uh, clients. Um, so our offering uh, is a pure uh, leasing, uh, sell leaseback uh, structure. Now, why did we opt for this? Uh, we, you know, we my colleagues here talked about the gap, but essentially what we saw is that the product is, is going to develop and is developing in exactly the same path that the aircraft leasing business uh, has developed over the past 40 years. And I don't know how many of you know, but uh, between 50 and 60% of the global aircraft fleet is financed through leases today. So we expect and we see that there will be a similar path uh, uh, that leasing is going to follow also uh, for shipping, and that's why I don't necessarily want to consider it alternative. I think everything that we, all of us, uh, do here is going to be pretty mainstream. I think my uh, predecessors in, in, in this panel um, have been around a bit longer. They've done a tremendous job in educating um, the shipping uh, community, which is why for us it has been you know, a, a great uh, a run over the past uh, couple of years that we have the company. Uh, in fact, last year uh, we uh, quintupled our exposure. Of course, the smaller you are, the easier it is to grow. But nevertheless, it was a significant growth percentage-wise in terms of number of vessels uh, as well. And, uh, and we have been able to cover more or less um, you know, the traditional uh, shipping uh, sectors, including uh, dry bulk, uh, product tankers, container ships, um, but also, more recently, we ventured into the offshore business uh, in which our team has uh, a long experience. So, uh, so we look forward to continuing down the path uh, also in 2024. Thank you. I've got a lot to come back on. <laughs> that was really useful. Um, you have spoken a lot about similarities, obviously, uh, in, in the context of uh, what makes you perhaps a bit different to, to, the, to the more traditional banks. Um, when we do your legal work for you, we know when a deal is coming, you know, from Elias, from Omer, we know when it's coming from Harris, because, not just because of the structure and the products, but because we can see um, in each of your deals that there are certain, certain elements that are your UPS or, you know, your signature, if you like. Um, if you were to pick a couple of elements to describe that UPS, um, sorry, the USP, in terms of selling to your clients and your customers, what do you think those would be? So in other words, what makes you different, not just similar? Leas, you can start this way. We can mix it up as well. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's a, it's a tricky question only because, exactly because we're not banks. Uh, our typical ter term sheet for a project, that doesn't look alike for any other given project that, that we do. So it's all tailored to specific projects rather than having a standard term sheet for ourselves or interest or anybody else. So uh, I think that that's the, the, the first point. Uh, look, I think the difference is um, uh, uh, market views and which segments we want to lean in at a given point in time uh, and, uh, you know, what sort of underlying uh, risk we're, we're willing to uh, take. As an example, I'll, br I'll bring it up. We started to lend to offshore support vessels in 2019, 2020. 
many of those vessels were still in layup, frankly, uh, and they were slowly coming out. Of course, now a lot of people are lending against it. It's a slightly different risk reward, whereby you've got uh, cash flows and, and obviously the, uh, um, the values have come up. Uh, so, so, what, so one is your, your, market, your market views. The, the other thing is, just generally speaking, how do you, um, uh, how do you underwrite risk? Uh, and where do you find yourself to be most uh, competitive? Uh, so so as, a, as an example for us, generally speaking, uh, some initial firm employment makes our structures tremendously different. We, we, we underwrite spot and we finance spot uh, trading vessels all the time, uh, but where our structures shine the most, if you, if you like, is in the, is in the former case. Uh, so I'm just highlighting. Then maybe there are different things that are important to, uh, to, uh, to us. For us, recourse is not really important. Um, Sometimes we get offered it uh, in order to improve cost or improve the structure in some shape or form. But generally speaking, it doesn't really make a very, very big difference for us. Uh, and maybe for some other people, it's, it's, it's a bit more important. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, I, again, I will add that the, I think each platform is different. You know, you have uh, leasing only, lending only, um, again, maybe a more diversified platforms sitting here. Um, at the same time, you know, again, I'm going to speak to for everyone here. I think more or less when you come, when you look at the underlying terms, they're more or less the same. I would say, you know, we're one, maybe one point apart, depending on the deal, depending on the, uh, you know, depend, depending on the assets. Also, I think the four funds that are sitting here are more, you know, they're more comfortable with taking asset risk, unlike some of the other funds that are more focused on um, on cash flow. And yet, the interesting thing is that we rarely come across each other. And, and, you know, and I've been personally, I've been asking myself, I mean, how is that possible? If we are more or less the same terms, we should be seeing and maybe similar approach on, uh, on uh, you know, on lending, we should see each other more often than, than not on uh, deals. And again, all the four funds here are very active in Greece. And, and I think it comes down to that at the end of the day, each of the fund is very focused on relationships. Relationship is something that takes a lot of time to develop and, and build. And because of that, you know, it's, there is just a limit of how much you can go out and, and speak. To, I mean, there's six, five, six hundred uh, shipping companies here in Greece. And I think each of us kind of like found their, I don't know, niche, but they're where, you know, the, the owners that they know based on prior relationship or maybe the, the owners that they're comfortable with. Um, but I do want to stress out that we don't really don't come across each other in, uh, and, and compete against each other in deals. Building on that, if you want to be fast, you need to know the people you're dealing with. Otherwise, you're bound to lose money and run into trouble. So it is based on relationships. We start all coming to know people a long time before there's actually a deal happening if we don't know them already. And that, that goes also back to, to the old banking style. You know whom you're dealing with. And... Um, in terms of assets, we uh, focus very much on the big segments. Uh, so it's containers, it's product tankers, and it's bulkers. Um, every now and then, something special. So we have had LPGs, and uh, we have had, I think, two Aframaxes over time. Um, but 
the, the liquid vessels that have a liquid S&P market, mid-aged, and I think this is the same for all of us. Um, if you have a new building, uh, the Chinese leasing is just so much cheaper and is there to promote the yards. Uh, we are more in the bracket of, of vessels that are 8 to 12 to 15 years of age. Some other funds are doing also very old vessels. Uh, for our fund, we don't do that because we are afraid. And uh, uh, comes from experience. I'm a bit too long in this business for uh, doing scrap finance. Um, and other than that, it's we 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 all do kind of the same stuff. We enable things, and we enable things for people that we understand are good guys, that are in principle bankable, and know their business. That's it. I think Elias mentioned uh, recourse earlier. For us, recourse is important uh, because we give it. So actually, we are structured not as a fund, we are structured as a company. Uh, and that actually takes care of some issues. Um, one of the issues is the end-of-life um, uh, situations or conditions that are associated with funds, uh, typically. We don't have to deal with that. Um, um, and then, of course, because we structured as a company and because we've been able to scale up quite significantly, we can offer uh, recourse to the counterparties we're dealing with, to our banks in particular. We view the relationship with the banks as a symbiotic relationship. We work together with them. We don't necessarily see them as an adversary or, as a, or a competitor. And that allows us to offer flexibility, but also a more competitive product. And actually, the more competitive our product is, the more valuable it is for our clients. And I just want to give you anecdotally, you know, an indication of how we look at transactions. Of course, we're looking very much at the asset, the cash flow. You know, I recall one case in which we had agreed to finance a particular CAPE that was in a long-term time charter to a steel mill. And we had agreed the amounts that were going to be allocated. Um, and that was summer. By the time, you know, uh, the deal reached the drawdown stage and the vessel was acquired, uh, the market had moved uh, significantly, you know, between, uh, I don't know, August and uh, November or something. And, and I, I recall that um, the LTV was approaching 90% at the time. Now, under normal conditions, I suppose a bank could not cope with an increase of the LTV from uh, 70 to 90% without actually doing something about it. And the difference in our approach is that, uh, you know, we look at each case uh, very carefully, very attentively. We evaluate all the issues and we're able to actually be much more flexible, for example, on LTV, amongst others, so that we were able to continue with the um, transaction, close it, fund the owner with the amount of money that was previously agreed. And um, it's a facility that's been working perfectly ever since, but it indicates how you know, flexibility plays a, a significant role in the relationship between the leasing company or funding uh, company and the owners. And maybe adding to that, Harris, uh, people can call you and say, I have a crazy idea and this is why I want to do that, and you're willing to listen. And uh, you don't say this is the typical 65% client, uh, and this rating, okay, all fine, but you, you are there and you listen what your clients wants and how he wants to achieve it. So if he says, I need to buy a vessel first, 
and then I send my old vessel because it's a rising market and I need to buy first. You will say, okay, we'll find a way to get it done. Yeah, maybe I can chime in here. I think, you know, people are typically ask us what is, um, you know, what is a good sector? What do we think about dry bulk, tankers? And, and my, you know, our answer at Entrust is that there are no good or bad sectors. There are good and bad deals. Um, and the way that, you know, you need to approach it, similar to what uh, my friends here just mentioned, is that things like LTV, things like uh, even pricing, they, they're usually outputs. They're not inputs. So you're not, you know, you're not starting from a, from a box that, you know, you, you, your LTV is set, your pricing is set, your amortization is set. All those things typically should be outputs. And the input here is the deal. I mean, you look at the deal, you look at the underlying deal and what, you know, and what, kind of leverage it can support um, and what kind of pricing it should warrant. And that's, that's, that's where we end. We don't start there. Very good to hear about the flexibility, obviously. Um, so as, as things clearly are becoming more and more successful uh, and you guys, you know, and your organizations are growing, um, we discussed a little bit about, you know, economies of scale and efficiency, um, how you manage deals, but also more interestingly, I think, how do you then look at deals? Uh, because I think, um, either in this job or in another job or uh, in the past you have done, you would have looked for one vessel deals, you know, each deal coming in, one vessel by one vessel and so on. Does this change over time? And does this link with where your investors and your shareholders want to go to, want you to go to? Um, what are they looking for and where do you think all of that's taking you? All right. So, look, uh, we are running both equity funds and debt funds, and uh, there is a big difference between the two as far as scale is concerned. If, if you were to ask me, is scale important on the equity side, I would say not at all. Is it important on the, on the credit side? It's very, very important. And uh, it's very, very important for a couple of reasons. First of all, obviously, there, is, there are platform costs that are required which um, you know require a certain scale for for you to be efficient to deliver the right service and uh, and the right product uh, but more importantly if you were to ask us actually what are the what, what is the perfect deal for you the answer is the second or third deal with the same borrower that's the answer and naturally as we have experienced and I'm sure everybody else has the larger you get, the larger percentage of your portfolio is with the same borrowers. There's repeat business. And it's great for the borrower, and it's great for you. You know how each other works. Everything is super efficient. And you can almost, if you, obviously, if everybody does their jobs right, you can also uh, foresee what the next deal that they want to do. Because they, you understand the strategy. You understand the position. You understand what they want to do. And, um, and, and, this is, and, this is, uh, and this is the beauty of scale. Now, there is a difference between the scale of the overall platform and the portfolio and the scale of each individual deals. And there, I would say actually no. So we actually believe tremendously in the fragmentation and differentiation of our portfolio. What we don't want is we don't want to end up with a very, very lumpy por uh, portfolio for a variety of reasons. Uh, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so, as we've grown, which has happened quite significantly over the last five, six years, we continue actually to do 100 million deals and we continue to do 5, 10, 15 million deals. Uh, uh, million deals. And they are equally important. And you're right, 
the effort that goes into a $15 million deal is the same as good for, for a bigger deal. But um, it, is, it is important both for a portfolio perspective, but also to create new relationships, to uh, start new business lines, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, again, on the economies of scale, I think, you know, when you get to uh, a $3 billion fund, I mean, you, uh, you know, it's hard to do five, seven million deal, million deal, even though we have been doing this, and even this year. Um, but I think the, the main advantage is that it allows you to cross-reference deals, you know, one owner with another. I mean, how is, you know, what's, what is OPEX here versus there? And, um, you know, what is this uh, MR uh, manager making versus the other one? So that, that's, that's obviously a big advantage. Um, but you know, you ask about deals and the deals that we like, and, and what our LP. I mean, LPs ultimately they want us to do good deals, and maybe just to um, to touch on this, I think you know when we look back um, and look at the successful deals versus the non-successful deals. So successful deals to me are one where you have alignment. Um, in fact, when we you know, when we do an intro call or meeting with ship owners, we always tell them, we don't view, we don't view you as a borrower. We, we view, view you as a partner. I mean, you, we are partnering up on a, on a situation. We, we may be sitting in different places in the cap stack uh, and have different rights, but it doesn't mean, I mean, we're, we are literally in the same boat. Uh, and we need to make sure that the, the structure is, um, doesn't benefit one of us. Uh, even, even if the, the market changes and at some point, you know, you're better off as them than, than, than equity, we sometimes changes. Because I think where you don't have alignment, this is where things go, uh, go wrong. Another point I want to mention is the, again, looking back at what, what, what we did right and what didn't go very well is the um, experience of the, of, the, of the ship owner. I think ultimately, um, you know, we, made, we made a decision that we're, we're only dealing with experienced ship owners. And, and you know, they don't, those ship owners don't have to have a fleet of 50 or 100 vessels. Um, but I think you are, we are looking for um, companies that have navigated through multiple cycles and know what to do because, um, you know, with, with cycle turns, uh, I, I think, you know, you ultimately find yourself in a different place than where you underwrote it and you want to make sure that the, the person, your partner, the person that with you in the same boat uh, knows what they're doing. Well, a good deal for us is a deal that is good for our client. So um, if I do a, a transaction with someone and uh, the, the vessel comes to a point where we are refinanced or uh, the vessel is sold, I want the client to say, well, Martin, you've been expensive, but this was a fantastic deal for me. I tripled my money, I quadrupled my money, something like that. That is a good deal for us. It's a good deal for Oak Tree because this is the kind of client that comes back to me. So uh, what is important for us is that it's a good vessel that is bought, that it's bought at an appropriate moment in the cycle, that we don't have inbuilt trouble, and uh, if we think the client is asking for a too ambitious break-even rate for a too high leverage, we will tell him so. We don't want trouble. We don't want the client to be in trouble. If it comes to a situation, we all know it's shipping, things are bumpy sometimes, we'll sit down and sort it out. But I want to have a client with whom I can sort it out, where I don't have to be the U.S. Marshal tricker, happy, whatever, enforcing. Uh, I've been there, I don't need that. I want a client with whom I can talk and find a mutual solution. That's a good deal for us. I want to give it a bit of a different uh, spin. 
because there's been a lot of discussion about um, you know, younger vessels, dual fuel vessels, decarbonization, and what have you, which we, of course, follow with great interest, and, you know, we've engaged in financing new buildings as well. But um, looking at the worldwide fleet, uh, at the end of 2013, um, the average age of the fleet has been around 12 and a half, 12.6 years of age, and 32 percent uh, of uh, those vessels were more than 15 uh, years of age as well. And, and that is actually something very significant. A lot of that tonnage is actually the tonnage which is the traditional you know, workhorse uh, for the industry, uh, also here in Greece, of course, because very much actively involved as a shipping nation in, in, in running you know, bulkers and tankers, etc. And even uh, more importantly, 30% uh, of that tonnage is classified D or E, in CII terms, and set paribus, if nothing happens, no modifications take place, by 2026, which is the deadline uh, sort of for the application, uh, that uh, percentage is going to be 45%. So, so we thought of that and we said, look, it cannot be the case that the majority of the industry, the, fun the financing industry, abstains from funding almost 50% of the global fleet, uh, uh, you know, because we need it. Uh, the fleet is important because it performs transportation work, which is essential for the global economy, for the world trade, etc., and for growth. So we need to make sure that we keep on funding it. So, uh, so, so we're still active uh, funding uh, vessels that potentially are a bit older, but we engage very actively with the owners in uh, funding also the amounts required for retrofit, whether these are fins, or propellers, or you know whatever is necessary, or, or you know anti-fouling or paints, uh, whatever is necessary to make sure that the vessels uh, get back to the right trajectory so they can continue trading. Because looking at the emissions from cradle to grave, you know uh, one can understand that a new building uh, is not a panacea. Uh, apparently, it takes seven years before actually you go back to a positive position in terms of emissions that are coming from a new building if you calculate the whole uh, emission cycle. So we're happy to do new buildings, but we're also happy and actively involved in uh, financing you know, all the vessels as well. It was 32 minutes before decarbonization was mentioned, so I think it's the world record right, uh, of a panel. Um, and now we've got five minutes to discuss geopolitics. Um, I think it's important to pick on this, even although we have a bit of a short time. But I think if you, what I would want to ask you is if you were to pick one current issue in terms of geopolitics that you think affects your portfolio most and or your customers most, which one would you pick? Easy. Dora, I'm going to answer a different question. Go on. I think... Um, like I think over the last three, three years, we've been to uh, two black swan events, COVID, uh, global pandemic, once in a decade, once in 100 years, and uh, Russia-Ukraine war. And, you know, in addition to China slowing down, in addition to the war in the Middle East, in addition to decarbonization, so, so many things have happened uh, on a global and macro level in, in our portfolio over the last three years. Now, luckily for, for all of us, I mean, these have... The shipping industry has largely benefited from those events. But, you know, it could have gone the other way. And we could have been sitting here asking ourselves, like, what do we do with, uh, 
92 million barrels per day consumption of oil. I mean, where, what are you going to do with all those tankers? So I think it shows you, you know, the, the velocity of change that you can have in this industry. And it's something that you need when you underwrite, you need to think about. Because, again, 10 years ago, I did, I did a study about the, uh, the shipping cycles. And I went back and looked at the information, and I saw that the average cycle in shipping was four and a half years. I mean, now it feels like four and a half weeks. Um, and the, mar you know, the, the market moves all the time, and, and I think both on the upside and the downside, I mean, even on the upside, what, what, you know, what we do well is that when the market moves, there is a period of time which banks just take a step back and they observe the market. And, and what each of those, our funds do well, does well, is that we're able to go in, uh, take a position on the market, and, and basically take away uh, bu good business that banks should be doing, but they're not doing it because they're taking a step back. Um, so, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, if you do that well, you'll succeed in this business. So it's a bit, not geopolitics, but managing the volatility, I think Correct. is what you're saying. Well, but, so. Which is all coming from geopolitics. Yeah, sure. And Martin? Cars, well, the, the difference, and, and that's what you basically said also, is that in the past we looked at the vessel and now we look at what is happening. Oh, I have an American owner. That means I don't get insurance. I cannot go Red Sea. I have a, a Taiwanese finance institution. That means if the war breaks out there, I'm in deep shit. We've seen that with uh, people that had money from Russia uh, that were trying to get desperately their vessel out of leasing structures uh, with Russian fa finance. So you, you have to think about geopolitical risks as an owner and as a financier, and that makes it different in you. I, I think the difference nowadays is the aggregation, the accumulation of uh, risks. Uh, that you see, it's, it's, uh, that are coming from, uh, you know, as somebody said, uh, from, from different uh, places, you know, COVID, geopolitics, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and of course, you know, that creates fragmentation, and fragmentation is not positive for global uh, trade. In fact, there's IMF, in, I think, calculated that, uh, you know, it's probably going to cost 7% of GDP if it exceeds certain uh, limits. And that's not good overall. However, shipping seems to be thriving on uncertainty, and it has been doing so for, for many, many years. So we need to be able to, uh, to, to follow our clients, uh, be agile, and respond to uh, circumstances that, as, they, uh, as they arise. But I also think that, in fact, this fragmentation and what we see as reshoring, nearshoring, et cetera, which is, seems that is a trend that is going to continue, is also going to affect uh, pro probably the type of ships uh, we need, if you look at container ships, there was a huge bet on centralized manufacturing. Uh, you know, if that is not the case anymore, maybe you need a different type of or size of container ships. So we may actually see changes to the types of ships that we need to service global trade on the basis of the fragmentation that uh, we see in global markets. Thank you. Elias? Uh, I think mo most of it has already been uh, mentioned. Uh, if, if I would pick one broad uh, geopolitical theme that obviously has had a lot more impact and is likely to continue to have a lot more impact on, on the industry is the geopolitics of oil and gas. Uh, and uh, obviously it's been, uh, it's been uh, pulled in a few different directions, not only because of the war that affects ton miles, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also the tug of war between the broadly defined Middle East and the broadly defined West about 
what to do with global production, what is the right long-term price for oil and gas, etc., etc., etc. And, uh, and this is not going to change. And in fact, if one were to believe that the age of oil and gas is, you know, at some point going to the transition into something different, the last few steps are going to be truly very volatile uh, because obviously uh, there are going to be a variety of different interests and they're not going to be aligned in terms of uh, trying to make the most of, uh, of, the, last, uh, of the last hooray, uh, as, it, as, it, as it were. Nonetheless, Clearly, and it's been said before, the dirty little secret of this industry is that uh, whether it's microeconomic or geopolitical inefficiencies uh, are obviously beneficial uh, to this sector to the degree they're not uh, completely destructive. And so um, uh, this, however, does create from an investment perspective an environment where um, uh, longer-term capital decisions uh, have to be taken uh, with a lot of consideration. Thank you. I think it's a very good point to uh, end the discussion. Thank you very much. I thought that was very interesting. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you. Thank you.